a class issue and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. All right, guys, so we are back. And again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. Mm-hmm. And if you hear anybody rapping, it's Stanley. Or Lisa. Mm, not that much. <laughs> it's mostly just you. Do you remember that show that I used to have on TV called Who Wants to Be the Next White Rapper? <laughs> <laughs> That last. It was. They went on for one season. You definitely should audition, Alyssa. <laughs> they had a little girl. They had a girl on there who was, was blonde Alyssa. and short, who was basically like my Doppler ganger. Oh really wow! Funny. That's because it was her. Hilarious. I need to YouTube that. They called her Il Nana. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of YouTube, that this was you, little Kim. No, that was Foxy Brown. All right. Speaking of YouTube, did you guys? Well, of course you did. Speaking of you guys out there in Radioland. That video, that YouTube viral video of that little black teenager, the student, she was a girl, um, she was assaulted in her classroom. So she was sitting there very peacefully. Supposedly, her teacher told her to give her um, her phone because she Mm -hmm. was text messaging or, you know, doing something that she wasn't supposed to while in class. And she refused. So the teacher called in a police officer who happened to have the an alias name of the Hulk, and he had uh, some other names. Uh, Mr. Slam or something like that. Mr. Slam, yeah, because of the his his past aggression with the students yeah. at this school. Um, and speaking of school, it's the Spring Valley High School in Columbia in South Carolina. And when he walked into the classroom, we don't know exactly what transpired, but there was video of him... Choke slamming l- the girl. Literally he thought it was picking WWE up... WWE wrestling I don't match. know what he thought, but he picks her up by her neck. Her. He dragged her in while she was still sitting in the desk. And then he yelled, do you smell the what the rock is cooking? I don't know what he was on. But then he literally got on top of her, told her to put her hands behind her back, and it was just very disturbing and very horrendous. And then you have people like Raven Simone, like, well, she should have never been on her phone. No, that's not. Well, Raven Simone is an ignorant white woman. We don't know what <laughs> Raven. I don't Wait, know. Wait, did you see the thing I that know. I sent you, which was like, you could, we, you can, you get, uh, you get to take uh, Raven Simone and something about Rachel. Yeah, Dozel. we said, we'll keep right. Rachel Dozel. I said that. I mean, we're <laughs> laughing and joking, guys. But just to be clear, like, this is a very serious matter. Uh, I, I, wow! He like he literally slammed her out of the chair. First, he wrapped his, his arm around her neck, which is when the point he said that she tried to hit him. Then he flipped her over in her chair, then tossed her across the, the classroom, and then went to go arrest her. He She's wanted sixteen. A, he was competing with um, barrel roll dude in Texas for yeah, like uh, you know who can choke slam the black girl into the ground faster. Right. It was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. And the thing is, this isn't just an issue of excessive force from a police officer, which we've been talking about on this show for the last year and a half. And we've seen a number of examples, especially when it comes to unarmed black and Latino men. But this issue also also points to the larger problems, as I mentioned, of institutionalized racism and the school to prison pipeline, which is a system that funnels black and brown students from jail, from school to jail. So um, I think that when we also, and another thing that it also highlights is the fact that how students, whether they're troubled or they have some type of behavioral issue, uh, how they're being treated when it comes to their teachers. I mean, traditionally, you would see um, some, a student acting out, they would be sent to the principal's office. So you would see them getting detention. But now, because we have a growing presence of police officers in these schools, the teachers are depending on these officers to handle 
what I would think is a minor disciplinary infraction. Mm-hmm. Like if a student is on their phone and being peacefully resistant, I think that, you know, maybe that student needs counseling. Maybe right. that student needs a trip to the principal off- principal's office or you need to talk to that guard, um, her guardian yeah. or, you know, something. But to be just manhandled like that was unnecessary. And, a reason, and another reason why this is going on is because a lot of schools across the country have these what is called zero tolerance policies where it's like if you don't if you if you're late a number of times to school or if you if you're um, disrupting the classroom in some type of way um, what happens is again they call in the, the police officers to handle it and then eventually a lot of times it can lose, lead to suspension it can lead to high school dropout the high, um you lead to some lead to them dropping out of high school and then it can also lead to them again being put into the criminal justice system. So, like, there's this whole pipeline of what's going on across the country. Well, are you done, Selena? I'm, no, I, know. I, I, I know about the zero, the zero tolerance because I think that, that was happening when I was in high school as well. There are or there were students who were just flat out disruptive and problematic in the classroom, and they needed to be taken out of the classroom for the sake of other kids having an opportunity to learn. I don't remember police officers coming into the classroom unless there was a very viable threat. In the school that I went to, which was not in the rosiest neighborhood, there were some people there who who were considered viable threats, and we still did not. I don't remember the police being called unless there was an actual fight going on, or and not police, the school safety people, I should say. So I'm I'm, not, I'm I'm having a hard time really understanding what happened there. If that happened in my classroom, because I used to be that disruptive girl, mm. the teacher would just continue class and ignore me mm, and tell right. everyone to ignore the class. And eventually the student realizes that they're the idiot in the room mm. and they get their crap together. Right. So something is definitely going on across the nation. And um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we have a very special guest on the line who's going to join our conversation and just help us get to the bottom of this. Because, I mean, this is stuff that should not be going on. And it just so happens that what happened last week in South Carolina was caught on camera. But I'm pretty sure this is happening all the time on a daily basis, especially to black and Latino students. So we have on the line with us Daniel Lawson, who is the director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies, which is an initiative at the Civil Rights Project um, civil rights project, and also his he's worked um, in law and policy when it comes to children of color and language uh, minorities of um, minority students. He's also worked in revealing and redressing the school to prison pipeline itself, which is the topic of discussion that we're having here today on Let Your Voice Be Heard. So, good morning, Daniel. Do we have Daniel on the line? Yeah. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Yes, we can hear you. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, We sort of, you know, had some discussion about what happened in this video, which is very disturbing and which has also sparked um, outrage all across social media. And it even sparked the students at that school in South Carolina to walk out after that officer, which his name is Ben Fields, after he was finally fired. But one of the things that, you know, we're talking about today is, again, the school to prison pipeline and why students, for some reason, it seems like teachers, instead of de-escalating situations that they have with a problematic student or a student who's just not behaving and, you know, or, or following the rules, they're calling um, the school, uh, the police officers into their classrooms, and they're basically being criminalized while they're in these classrooms. So I wanted to just, you know, take a step back, Daniel, and ask you to pretty much, like, explain this school-to-prison pipeline and the correlation between, you know, this officer using excessive force and this 
student going to jail and how this pretty much plays into the larger picture of black and brown people being uh, mass incarcerated? Yeah, well, I think uh, all of you have pretty much hit on the the big points that I was going to make, which is that this is a widespread problem. This was not, it's outrageous what we saw, but I think for a lot of, uh, you know, white folks and folks who haven't seen this firsthand or might somehow doubt the sort of excessiveness to see it in just such uh, vividness and explicit, um, you know, an obvious um, wrong and injustice, I think, is is just helpful because the data and the work that myself and civil rights advocates and researchers have been doing for a long time, you know, it shines a bright light on it when people can actually see it. And I don't think anyone looking at that video, I don't care what your background, could say somehow that was justified. Um, And so the good news is even, for example, the state... Uh, uh, superintendent for South Carolina said this was outrageous and that we really have to look at not just what are cops doing in schools but also the general intolerance so it's not just zero tolerance policies we're seeing um, especially African-American students and a lot of African-American females they're probably the second most likely to be suspended out of school and it's usually for this kind of minor misbehavior um, as one of the hosts pointed out, there is a need sometimes to have a kid who's being disruptive removed from a classroom. But there are thousands of ways to do that that don't involve involve uh, a, a school resource officer or forceful removal. Um, that was just totally inappropriate. So if teachers are well trained to de-escalate mm-hmm. situations, and if if schools have on hand counselors, principals, and others that are trained so that when a teacher is struggling, maybe a new teacher doesn't know how to deal with the situation, is, is confronted with a problem, they can get help, but the help isn't, doesn't wear a badge and doesn't use force. Um, and there are things like restorative practices, social-emotional learning. There's all kinds of methods that teachers and leaders, principals, can be trained in to reduce this. We're seeing in South Carolina, for example, in that school, 35% of the students had been suspended out of school at least one time, 35% of the black students, only 11% of the white students. So it's mm. probably a kind of school where it had a harsh environment already. But when you have that kind of a harsh environment, right. See the, some of the largest racial disparities as right. well. So right, right, and I'm so glad that you did bring that up again, guys. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Daniel Lawson. He is the director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies, and we're speaking about that viral video of that assault on the young black teenage girl. We're also speaking about the school to prison pipeline. Yeah, no, and I wanted to just jump in there because the the number he just gave us is so stark. And the other thing that I wanted to say about that is nobody can tell me that those that the white children in that school or in any other school, for that matter, aren't acting out in the same way that this girl did. I mean, we're talking about high school students. And I mean, maybe it's when I was in high school, there was no cell phones yet. Um, I'm, I'm not that old, but it was phone. pre-cell phone. Um, I actually don't think I had a cell phone till the last, till senior year of high school. Nerd. But I mean, we, you know, black, I went to a a mixed race school of black and white students and the white students acted out just as bad as some of the black students and vice versa and yet still you see this disparity so it's you know I I hate how people 
a lot of times want to be like, well, it's not a race thing, you know, the, you know, it, but it is because when it you is. look at those numbers, you can't right. tell me uh, and you see the number of black students being disciplined compared to the number of white students. And then you want to look at those numbers. That's just maybe in that school. But look at the numbers for the entire country. And you can't say I don't think you can reasonably say that white students aren't acting out or that white students have more respect for authority because I don't think they do. In fact, I think it's the opposite. You see some of those videos that come out of some of those colleges when and, you know, football teams lose and it's like all these and, and yes, this is college and this is high school. But I mean, it's like white people going crazy and throwing desks and no. chairs and burning stuff on fire. Yeah. Um, and and oh. nobody's calling them thugs. So there's a new piece of research done by a, an African-American researcher at Stanford where she gave teachers a written narrative. And about the kid's behavior, and she just changed the name. In one case, it sounded like a white kid's name. Another it was like Darnell or something. Sounded like an African American kid's name. And she tested the name. Or that the the teachers reviewing this, and she just changed the name. And when it was a black student, they said this is the second time the student has done this. All the teachers, black and white teachers, for as well, were saying, "Oh, this kid should be suspended out of school. You have to come down hard." When it was a white student. No, they didn't get suspended out of school for the. So there's a perception. It, 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 it you know, it, this is called implicit bias. So these teachers would have said they they believe in equal justice and uh, they're anti-discrimination. But when given a narrative that they think is a black kid, they would punish that student more harshly. And this is something that I think you know everybody has to acknowledge. And the good news is even the, the Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, is now talking about the problem of implicit bias, because it not only affects how harshly you punish, but right. whether you perceive a problem in the first place, whether you think there's something, a dangerous activity or the need to bring in a school resource officer, it's going to... Um, that, that decision in the minds of the, the teacher is going to be affected by racial stereotypes that really don't belong at all. You're absolutely right. And the numbers don't lie. This is a racial issue. Um, even if you look at the organization that Daniel works for, which, again, is the Center for Civil Rights Remedies, they had a study and it said that um, between the years of 2011 and 2012, uh, one in one in 10 of every student was suspended from the grades seven to 12. But then when you take account race, black students, it was one in four of the same age range. So, again, it goes from one in 10 on a general. But when it comes to black students, it's one in four. I mean, and that feeds the school to prison pipeline, which I know is something that we're going to talk about later on in this segment in a little bit more depth. It it absolutely does. And I know that we do have um, Miss Deborah on the line who would like to let her voice be heard on this topic. Good morning, Miss Deborah. Hi, how are you, everybody? Good morning. Uh, I would like to know, first of all, um, what is going to happen to the uh, instructor that was in class? Because I think that he should be investigated. Uh, I also believe that there's something very, very wrong with a man who has to go and get a cop to come into his classroom when this child was not doing anything to physically put him in peril. Well, you- the police officer should be, what I think should be done and what's going to be done are two separate things. But I also think that this black teacher should be investigated because people are always talking about, oh, we need more black men in our classrooms and we need more black men. 
we need more black men. We don't need bullies and people that adhere to these kinds of, 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 of brutality. We don't need that. There's something wrong with him, and there's something that says that I hate black women because you would not allow anybody. If you have, if you have daughters, nieces, even male, female cousins that you care anything about, you would not want someone to abuse someone like that. Ms. Deborah, you know, you bring up a really great point because that teacher did take a very standoff approach and everybody, I mean, the students were traumatized while this assault was taking place and it, it seemed like the teacher didn't say anything and to me, I was thinking the whole time, maybe this is something that is of the norm. Maybe that teacher is desensitized to the, the brutality and the excessive force that's going on uh, to these black students in that school. I would push back. Not all of the students reacted either. No, there they were just sat there. Yeah, there was yeah like they were one, traumatized. They looked traumatized and no, fear. Like no, some was, of them just yeah. looked like they kept pl- they took yeah. out their phones and like ignored it. Yeah. Which which leads me to live two things. One, to go off of your point, which is we've become in some ways desensitized just to violence in general in society, not, you know, just uh, on a bigger picture level. But two, uh yeah, to the point where, you know, certain you know students just took out their phones and ignored it as if it wasn't happening yeah. so we've become so desensitized to violence i don't know i kind of i looked at it as they were just turning away because they no. could not really take that no. in <laughs> no <laughs> i saw it the way stanley saw yeah. it all right guys so we're going to go on a break but when we come back we'll have more again from daniel Olson, who's on the line from us and we'll continue the conversation about the school to prison pipeline pipeline We are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR. 90.3 FM. The Voice, the Voice of Harlem. Harlem. Okay, guys, so we're talking to Daniel Lawson. He's on the line with us. He is from the Center for Civil Rights Remedies, and we're talking about that viral video of that black student who was assaulted right in her own classroom. And we're also talking about, again, how this points to the larger systematic problem of the school-to-prison pipeline. And... Before we went on break, we talked about some statistics and some data on, you know, the suspension rate and um, how students are being expelled. And when this happens, it just leads to students um, usually dropping out and getting put into the criminal justice system. And it's almost like these schools are cultivating students for prison. And I wanted to give some other um, pretty astounding statistics from this study called the Black Girls Matter pushed out, over-policed, and under-protected. And this study says that in New York City, actually, black girls are actually expelled 53 more times and suspended 10 times more than their white counterparts. So I wanted to, you know, that's that's pretty, that, that takes you back. And I think that... Um, I actually wanted to ask Daniel, why is why is it that these students are being suspended and how does suspension affect students in the long run? Yeah, so I think you've already pointed out that it can dramatically increase the risk for dropping out and winding up in the juvenile justice system. Of course, if kids are, you know, out of school and unsupervised on the streets, you know, there's all sorts more opportunities for them to get in trouble. But I also want to point out that problem of structural racism, which is where we underfinance our schools. We're not providing enough adequate, you know, experienced teachers, teachers who are trained in how to de-escalate situations, 
And on the other hand, we're spending more money on school resource officers or law enforcement uh, officers who carry guns to be in schools, which are a lot more expensive. And in the long run, we're paying incredibly as a society, not only because kids wind up incarcerated, but it's a tremendous drain on the economy when kids are not staying in school and getting a diploma. Right. You know, you're absolutely right. Just to interject, it costs more for taxpayers to imprison a student or a person than it does to educate them. So we are all feeling the effects, Daniel. I'm so glad that you brought that brought up that point. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, do, we're about to release a, a study that looks at the cost of suspensions, but it will astound you. It's little, Nationally, we're talking about billions of dollars every year that are lost to this kind of incredibly um, nonsensical, illogical behavior where you're bringing in cops to uh, address a minor misbehavior that could easily be handled by the classroom teacher if they had gotten any kind of sense. Maybe they didn't get enough support. Maybe the whole school is like this, where mm-hmm. teachers are encouraged to, you know, really uh, come down hard on kids for all sorts of minor things. Right. But there's also a problem with we're teaching, especially black and brown youth, to ob- be obedient, like the, the concept that you're not allowed to be in school unless you're incredibly obedient. You saw this with the got-to-go charter schools. Uh, that was just, uh, there, there was just an expose of the uh, success academies where there's this got-to-go list where if kids, and these are serving mostly black and brown youth, if they're not absolutely the best behaved, they are being pushed out of school. Oh, wow. Uh, just to clarify that for, for those of you who don't know, um, the New York Times did an expose on Success Academy, which many Harlem residents know all about, and how these schools have had a reputation for coaching kids out of the school and targeting certain people they want to get out. Success Academy has always denied this, and this information released in the New York Times, which had documents from um, former co- from staff members and former staff members over there, which pretty much confirmed what everyone sus- suspected already. And so I, I just oh, go I just wanted to clarify. So basically, you're saying that there's no room for leverage, and that if the students um, somehow fall out of line from this code or this vi- or, or they violate some of these policies, then they're just kicked out of school? Well, and that's been the big criticism for these charter schools in the first place is, is because they're not taking every child like public schools are. They only want to take the child which they think has the, the most, like, the, the highest likelihood to succeed. And if they think a child has something, whether it be um, they're not, they can't keep up in the classroom or they have a behavioral issue, they're pushing them right out. But all children should be given the, the equal opportunity to succeed. And I think that's where it's yeah. really missing out. But I don't want to get away from, like, get too much into a conversation about the charter school. Mm-hmm. And I actually wanted to go back to something that Selena mentioned, which I think is really important. Um, it was a, a few years ago now, but I'm pretty sure the numbers are still the same. And um, the Atlantic did a study, the Atlantic magazine. They found that one year in prison, paying for one year in prison, actually costs more than sending a student to Princeton for one year. So think about that for a second yeah. and think about all of the, the these students that end up in the school to prison pipeline. And I know we're going to get into talking about testing, at least, you know, in a, in a few seconds. Uh, I know that's one of the other factors that that drives the school to prison pipeline that we want to talk about. But we have students that maybe they're a little diso- maybe they're a little bit disobedient, you know, and white students are, too. As I've already pointed out, I'm not going to rehash that. And but yet black students are put in detention more often. They're suspended from school more often. They're expelled from school more often when. And you constantly are trying and you're going to school and maybe you're acting out a little bit because, you know, for whatever reason, numerous reasons why you might be acting out. And now instead of giving you the time and the attention that you need um, and that would benefit you, you're thrown out of the classroom. You're put in suspensions, detentions and, and expulsions.
emotions. Um, and then you're like, why should I even bother? You know, uh, I'm going to go hang out on the street. Um, you know, maybe I'm going to sell drugs or I'm going to steal or I'm going to do this. And then you get caught or even even worse when you have sp- police officers in schools and something that shouldn't even be criminalized they come in they arrest a student out of a classroom for doing for committing a minor infraction now you have a criminal record now you cannot now you have to check a box when you go to try and apply for a job so that first interaction with the criminal justice system and i know this in particular having you know worked as a public defender and being very familiar with with uh, the criminal justice system that first interaction over a minor violation can lead to a lifetime of perpetual you know, ending up back in prison, back in prison. And we can stop that cycle by saying, you know what, we're not going to criminalize these people. We're going to take the cops out of school. We're going to put social workers in to deal with these issues. We're going to give all children opportunity to exceed, uh, succeed and the education. And we're going to spend the money. And that's another big thing that we're going to talk about in the second segment when we talk about the budget. But we're going to spend the money to help these students succeed, because otherwise, if we want to be fiscally responsible, and especially Republicans who claim that they're fiscally responsible, If we want to see these kids succeed and we want to save money, we'll spend the money on school and not on prison. I just want to say, guys, if you you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. I want to shift the conversation a little bit, if it's okay with you, Selena. I want to talk about, because if we're talking about just the suspensions or we're talking about the way kids are penalized, let's talk about the funding for schools where you have majority black and brown students, because I think that's very problematic. Um, Daniel, can you expand on that when it comes to funding for these schools? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we, and this goes again to sort of the structural racism, states historically have underfunded schools that are increasingly in segregated uh, and racially isolated and socioeconomically isolated school districts. And, you know, the classic example of this is the New York City lawsuit against the state of New York, which was successful, the campaign for fiscal equity, yet they never fully delivered on the promise, the state of New York, in terms of adequate funding New York City schools. So we see this this sort of sensibility where we're going to, as, as I think one of the hosts pointed out, we're not going to pay for counselors, special educators, other kinds of support staff, training teachers to be um, more effective with diverse students. Instead, we're bringing cops into school, and it is economically insane to, to do it that way. But unfortunately, you see that mostly happening in schools that are serving poor and minority kids. Right. Um, so, so, Daniel, one of the things that I want to talk about is something that Alyssa mentioned in passing, standardized testing. Can you talk about how uh, standardized testing itself could be causing disparities uh, when it comes to black and brown students and could also be leading them and pushing them into the school-to-prison pipeline? Oh, absolutely. So, One of the problems, especially with high school exit exams, is that oftentimes, and this goes to the funding as well, if students haven't been adequately prepared to pass the test, if they're, if they're, we know from research nationally that um, poor and minority kids are much less uh, or much more likely to have be taught by an out-of-field teacher. So that's like an art teacher teaching algebra. Um, And this happens in really high frequency, unfortunately, in in under-resourced schools. Also, the lack of sort of advanced college prep kind of coursework. And so there's this sort of, and this also goes to the implicit bias of, you know, the soft bigotry of low expectations 
where kids of color, not only do they not have the resources or the experienced teachers or the infield teachers, but there's also a tendency to have lower expectations and to think, oh, they can't do it and not to demand enough of those students and not to expect as much. And, and oftentimes, you know, kids will rise to the level of the expectations. And if they're lower, that they don't rise that high. So a lot of this has been driven by a focus only on test scores rather than seeing, all, you know, all the sorts of uh, gifts and talents that all kids bring to the classroom. And test scores tend to really dummy down the curriculum, and you're only being taught on what is tested. The other thing that happens, especially in, in under-resourced districts, you see art and music and other kinds of things that really are important to human development. Uh, these are the first things to get cut. And these are the things that oftentimes kids who might be struggling in one area, they'll come to school because of the, the music teacher or because they can be in band or orchestra or be in a play or have a, a good art program. There are things that can appeal to kids that will keep them in school. And it's also in terms of their, their development. There have been studies that show that these do boost uh, your performance and your achievement. So there, there's a myriad of ways that a focus on just the t test scores have um, contributed to the problems that we're seeing. It's funny we're talking about test scores now because President Obama just released an op-ed in the Huffington Post talking about the need to possibly scale back the amount of testing that we do to make it leaner and smarter. I know that I've been an advocate of testing students. I've always hoped and thought that it'd be within reason because you need to have some way to kind of gauge where children are. But I'll be the first one to admit that the testing that is happening now is not only problematic, but it's also unrealistic. And I have this thing I like to say about the SATs and the LSATs, it stops hundreds and thousands of black and brown people from going to law school and to college every single year, and the things on those tests don't actually equate to what you would need to know or be good at to be successful in college. So, can, can, you know, with saying that about the SATs and the, and the LSATs, which I think are very true, like, can we have that, maybe that same argument for some of these standardized tests that students are now required to take? So, I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question, but I do agree with the, the point that we are we're spending much too much time and resources yet we do we're not i'm not arguing against having tests i think we have to do it um, with less time uh, and and even less time than president obama has suggested he said two percent of the time but that's a, still a whole lot of testing um, we can actually if we test smarter um, we can get the kinds of responses we know to, to to keep track of whether kids are learning what they need to know uh, without it being it taking up so much time and the focus of the curriculum is often just teaching to the test with sort of ignoring all these other kinds of things that should be covered. Absolutely. And you know what? And that's a great point that I wanted to make, which is that yeah, I'm not an advocate for getting rid of testing either. I think that students need to be tested. However, there are also other ways to test students that aren't necessarily a test per se, like sitting down with, you know, writing an essay or doing multiple choice questions, um, like what you would think of as a test. When I went to public school, um, yes. Yes, we still had to take regents, and yes, there were still standardized tests at the end of the year that they did teach towards in certain ways, but there was also other ways in which we were assessed. I remember um, doing book reports or having to do what they called current events, which you had to read a news article, and then you had to write up why this news article was important, why it was interesting to you, um, you know, why this, something like that. I remember having to do, um, you know, a project where we had to read a book about a famous figure, and then we had to do some kind of art project. So it incorporated reading skills, it incorporated writing skills, but it also incorporated 
creativity. And so another thing that we have to look at, and especially as he points out, a lot of what keeps some of these students in these low-income schools in class is the art, is the music, is the things that kids find to be um quote, you know, what I'll say is fine to be fun because they are fun, but they're also essential to learning. And we can be using incorporating those things into the testing along with the sort of standardized tests that we have. Um, And that is a way to draw these students in to keep their attention. And that keeps them in school. And when you keep kids in school, you keep them out of prison. Right. Daniel, did you have any response to that? No, I, I, I agree with it, and, and uh, you know, I think from a civil rights perspective, it's not like we want to do away with the test. It does shine a light on where, you know, the, the inadequacy of education is most profound, but we don't want to focus so much on tests that we, we uh, dilute or, or eliminate really important parts of the curriculum, like art and music. That's equally important. And it is what we know it it, it has been eliminated in many schools. Right. So, Daniel, let's talk about some of the solutions. And unfortunately, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, it's very important for us to talk about what needs to be done. Where do we need to invest? And how can we get these, how can we get funding towards, you know, mental health services or more counselors on campus at these high schools and at these schools rather than just continuing to pour into a growing police force at these schools, which seems to be happening, especially in light of all the recent mass shootings. Like there's people calling for a greater police presence at the, you know, their elementary school and at their high school. But it's like, is that really? Really, their answer, especially if it's negatively hurting and impacting children's of, uh, children of color? Right. I think one of the things we need to shine a light on is the, the money. Where are we spending money? Are we spending money on cops in schools, in, in schools that have inadequate funds to begin, begin with, that don't have enough counselors, don't have special ed supports, and don't spend any money on teacher training? And, we are, you know, we are finding that, but we're also not getting the information. about. We can't even tell how many school resource officers there are across the country. We don't know how much money is being spent on them. So so that that's a one place to start. Um, another is that there are actually uh, proven effective different approaches that don't involve uh, harshly punishing kids and and you know reaching for suspension right and left. There's a whole book uh, called Closing the School Discipline Gap. Uh, it's a volume of of uh, you know studies of what works. One of the things that works is training teachers to be more engaged with their students, and that helps diminish implicit bias and reduce the use of -of out-of-school suspensions. When you have a close relationship with a student and their parents, you're much less likely to, to, uh, you know, reach for a harsh punishment uh, when a kid doesn't put their cell phone away. Um, In addition, there's something called restorative practices, which is holding kids accountable to the community, but giving them the message that we care about you, we want you to stay in school, we want you to be part of this community. So in, in that example, you know, working with that, with that student wouldn't put away her, her cell phone. The whole class could have gotten involved and say, come on, we want to work on this lesson together. There could have been, you know, with adequate training of the teacher and work with the classroom, um, there could have been a lot of ways to get that, that that student back engaged into whatever the classroom activity was supposed to be. Um, but without that kind of training, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that we're, we're winding up with. And then there's training both teachers and, and students on how to deal with their own 
um, you know, frustrations and anger, and, and it's called social-emotional learning, where you're, you're teaching basically um, the skills you need to be successful in all sorts of group settings and cooperative uh, settings. It's really important to prepare kids to be successful in the workforce and how to work with, other, with others. And part of that is learning how to de-escalate situations, learning how when you feel frustrated, what are the appropriate responses and, and how to, you know, appropriately address something that you're concerned with. Maybe the, maybe the uh, student that wasn't putting away her cell phone had felt either disrespected or disengaged, or maybe there was a real serious problem going right. on in her life that right. no one was paying attention to. So there's a lot of ways that um, schools can can uh, learn how to to address these issues in ways that keep kids in school, but also more effective as part of the, uh, our general community. Daniel, thank you again for calling in. Please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and find out more about your organization and the studies and the statistics that your org is producing on this issue. So we have a website. It's School Discipline Data. Dot org, so it's a, all one word, schooldisciplinedata.org, and you can find, you can look up the uh, discipline data for your uh, school district um, at the elementary and secondary level, and we're posting new reports and findings. We have a new uh, report on the cost of suspensions that will be coming out in a few weeks. Um, so that's the probably the fastest way. Um, you can Google me. I'm at the Center for Civil Rights Remedies at UCLA Civil Rights Project. Um, and we have a website, uh, which is uh, uh, the Civil Rights Project UCLA.edu. So those are the two fastest ways. Thank you again, Daniel. We'll continue covering this issue. Um, guys, I want to just give everyone um, some time to wrap up. Um, any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I just, uh, you know, based on the last thing that um, I heard our guest say about de-escalation techniques, it seems like the number one group that needs to learn a de-escalation technique is the police or at least the school <laughs> right. safety officer. So why don't we start the de-escalation training there? Because if they don't know how to de-escalate a situation, then we got bigger problems. Um, but I did want to read a comment that we got on social media from a, a guy named Gary. And uh, it basically kind of sums up, you know, how I feel about this incident at Spring Valley, um, because I've already given you a lot of my thoughts on the school to prison pipeline and I won't repeat them but he basically says please go ahead and remove me from your friends list if you're defending this loser in a badge who felt threatened by a teenage girl enough to slam her out of her desk if you felt that that was the only rational way to handle a teenage girl with an as attitude you are the problem and I agree with that and that's going to be my final thought Teenagers, teenagers are generally horrible people. Children generally suck and, and like that's just who they are because they're not adults they haven't learned how to like behave properly yet and their emotions can sometimes you know range from reasonable to not so much we we have to learn how to address those things and remember that we used to be there at one point or another too whether you're black white green yellow it really shouldn't matter but we can't keep playing politics with education because it's doing nothing but hurting these kids and that's really the biggest problem that and we have, have us right money. now yeah Absolutely right. And as Daniel mentioned, we need some more investment, especially when it comes to support and mental health uh, services for these students. You don't know. Maybe this person, this student has an undiagnosed condition of ADD or ADHD. How do you know that that person can't learn that way? How do you know that that person may be advanced and just bored? You don't know, again, why this student, why this young person is acting out. But what we do know is that these incidents of excessive force and a growing police presence is not 
not the answer. And it's leading and pushing black and brown kids right into prison. So much so that the Bureau of Justice Statistics shows that one in three black boys who were born in 2003 will go to prison at some point in their lifetime. And early on the show, we gave some of those astounding statistics when it comes to um black students being expelled and being suspended the two go hand in hand and i also wanted to mention in texas i mean they actually have some policies on the books there where if you're late a repeated number of times you will get fined you will get a police issued misdemeanor and you will you can and i think that these um citations can cost up to two to three hundred dollars and because they're being issued disproportionately to black and brown students and also to students who live in impoverished neighborhoods they can't pay it and guess what they get arrested on campus. There was this one Latino student who was sitting at her class, sitting inside her classroom at her desk, and she was called out, and they told her, you know, we're, we have a warrant out. You owe, I think, like a couple thousand dollars, um, and, and you, co- you owe a couple thousand dollars uh, because you kept being late to class. And her excuse was, well, I work as a janitor on the side simply to put ends meet and um, simply to help my family out. So, I mean, again, we have to take all of these things into account. We'll continue to cover this issue here because it doesn't end, but it does start with us by speaking up, being informed, and, uh, again, letting our legislators know that this is something that needs to be addressed. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about different news stories during the News Roundup. <laughs>